Hello, I'm Mariam Lawal, Sustainability Analyst at the Chartered Banker Institute. Here at the Institute, we're committed to speaking with banking and finance professionals, policymakers and regulators to understand how we can build the cultures, capacities and capabilities that are required to align finance with the Paris Agreement and broader sustainability goals. These green conversations, as we call it, span across climate risk, green and sustainable finance and nature related financial risks. So far, we've had the opportunity to host experienced professionals in our previous episodes. Today, we'll be focusing on disclosing nature-related financial risk, a topic which is, has become a particularly hot one in the climate finance space. And uh, the TNFD particularly is delivering a risk management and disclosure framework for organizations to report and act on evolving nature-related financial risk. Uh, for those who might not know, the TNFD re refers to the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, and uh, their framework will be released in September 2023. Part of the target organizations are banks, and the TNFD seeks to help banks make informed and robust lending and financial intermediary decisions based on clarity, confidence, and trust in data relating to nature-related risks. Discussions will focus on the meaning and importance of nature-related financial risks, and the current challenges and opportunities for banks with disclosing nature-related financial risks, and what they are also looking to get from the TNFD launch. Today, we have the privilege of hosting Rona Tunbo from NatWest, and uh, we'll be very uh, happy to have her introduce herself. Uh, hello, Rona. Hi there. Hi, please. Can you tell us a bit more about your role at NatWest, at NatWest Bank, please? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my career has been dedicated to working in climate and environment, following for a, a geography degree. And over the past 11 years, I've been at NatWest Group in a range of climate, environment and sustainable banking roles. Prior to joining the bank, I worked in energy and commercial property companies and studied for a master's in carbon management at Edinburgh University. My current role is, as you say, environment, uh, climate, environment and emerging issues lead. And I sit within the strategy function of NatWest Group in the Climate Centre of Excellence. My role is to focus on working with colleagues right across all functions and franchises to embed our climate strategy into the bank's decision-making, primarily through our climate transition plan. Secondly, I lead the development on the group's approach on nature and biodiversity, which we'll speak a bit more about today. And thirdly, as no organisation can solve the climate crisis in isolation, I lead engagement with NGOs, civil society, and represent the bank on a range of collaborative working groups which seek to kind of drive forward the climate and environmental agenda, which includes a bit of an alphabet soup of GFANS, NZBA, SMI, and the BEI. Thank you so much, Rona. Uh, so just moving on to the uh, to the to the next question. Thank you so much for the introduction. Um, I'll just start by asking. I'll start by asking what nature-related financial risks entail in terms of what it means for banks and organizations more broadly, and particularly when it became more significant for banks to consider. And also, how is this different from climate-related risks? 
Yes. So firstly, when thinking about nature and banking, it's important to remember that this isn't something that's separate from climate or even the wider economy. We know that there's no path to net zero by 2050 without ending deforestation this decade. It's, and it's only through considering nature and biodiversity that we can achieve our climate ambitions. Secondly, it's not all about risk. So the World Economic Forum's Nature and Business Report estimated that a nature positive transition could generate $10 trillion of business opportunities and nearly 400 million new jobs by 2030. So that there is a path available to us, which would unlock a win-win-win for nature, people and business. So risk is important, but so is the opportunity. And for our listeners who are new to this subject, uh, please, could you kindly just explain what TNFD is? Yep. So TNFD provides the framework which will drive consistency in reporting and the success of the TCFD shows how useful it is for multiple parties to have access to this information. The LEAP approach, which TNFD promotes provides organisations with a step-by-step process to follow. So the L for locate considers where the business interfaces with nature. E for evaluate considers dependencies and impacts. A for access looks at material risks as well as opportunities. And then lastly, P for prepare to respond and report. Equally, as organisations develop their climate transition plans, They'll be looking into their supply chain or in the case of banks, their customers, to understand their approaches. And within recent guidance that we've seen, such as from GFANS and others, environmental impacts, including nature, are appearing in this guidance already. So it's something that we need to be aware of. Given that this is such an emerging area, we've been collaborating with others on this topic to develop wider market understanding. And alongside members, um, and institutions of the Investment Leaders Group, the Banking Environment Initiative, and University of Cambridge Academics. We participated in a nature-related financial risk project. Our case study looked into nature risks on UK cereal farms, and this found that farms with degraded soils were not exposed materially more to fertiliser price increases. However, they were significantly more impacted than farms that had healthy soils when it came to extreme weather events such as droughts. We need to keep building this understanding of how nature risks relate to financial risks and the TNFD will enable companies a framework to start this. Thank you, thank you Rana, that's interesting. Uh, thanks for that for that insight. In June, TNFD released uh, the second version of its better framework for market consultation. And we've seen that further iterations are being planned before the release of the framework in September this year. So why is the, this disclosure beneficial for you as a bank and the wider stakeholders that you engage with? So I think kind of just to reiterate, as, as with climate, um, the more that we can see consistency in reporting will make it much easier for organisations to understand what's happening and how companies are addressing their nature impacts, whether it's impacts on the organisation or um, the, the 
nature impacts from the organisation as well. So it's all about that consistency. And given that this is such an early stage, it's beneficial that the TNFD is taking such a consultative approach in taking in that feedback and learnings as we go forward. Thank you. And, and what would be the challenges with um, just disclosing nature related financial risks, so, um, especially when compared to climate risks? And um, particularly, how is that unfolding for, for NatWest Bank, please? So I think one of the, the key challenges is around data and measurement. So with climate, we've got kind of a standard unit of measurement being carbon dioxide equivalents. And then from a methodology perspective, the greenhouse gas protocol is very established as a way in which organisations can measure their carbon footprint. For banks specifically, looking at financed emissions, we've got the kind of additional guidance that was developed by the Science-Based Targets Initiative and then PCAF for our carbon accounting. However, there's not kind of as developed approaches for nature and biodiversity. And as nature risks come from a broad and varied range of sources with multiple interdependencies, there's a lot more complexity, which also means that there's not kind of one net zero equivalent aspiration um, for nature. But I think it's important to remember that perfection shouldn't be the enemy of the good and perfect nature data for our customers, including location information, might not be readily available now. Um, but it, it may do in time as our customers, as with ourselves and other financial institutions, build out that understanding of nature related risks. And as with climate over time, we'll see that kind of data quality, reliability and completeness improve. It should also be said that proxies can be used where they're available. And an example from kind of the work that we've done at NatWest with the soft commodities compact of which we're founding members was to kind of utilize available information that was already there. So this was developed by the Banking Environment Initiative and had the aim to mobilize the banking industry to help transform soft commodity supply chains. This utilized the relevant certification scheme memberships to demonstrate standards. So for example, the forest Forest Stewardship Council, or FSC, can be used for timber, paper and pulp, etc. And in 2021, we expanded our soft commodities reporting to include seven imported commodities, which were noted um, for high deforestation risk and high overseas land use. This now means that we no longer lend to customers in specified soft commodities unless they're members of an appropriate sustainability certification body or have a sustainability certification in place by 2024 at the latest. So this is just one example of how action can be taken today. Secondly, kind of agriculture from a UK perspective is a really important sector and it's an example of where climate interventions will have important implications on nature. And therefore, we've been partnering with the Sustainable Foods Trust to promote their global farm metric tool. This is helping us to measure climate, soil, water and biodiversity impacts from farming practices and how to identify interventions that promote positive synergies between those different metrics and minimises any negative trade-offs. 
We're currently working with the Global Farm Metric to digitise this offering to help our farming customers develop credible transition plans that will ensure their resilience to the climate and to wider ecosystem shocks. Thirdly, this isn't a problem exclusively for countries with tropical rainforests. This is a very real issue in the UK, where we only have 53% of our biodiversity left, which puts the UK in the bottom 10% of countries globally and the last of all the G7 nations. Nature-related financial risks share many of the same characteristics as climate-related financial risks. They're non-linear, far-reaching, and subject to tipping points. However, unlike climate, nature has to be considered at a much more local level. And over the past so many years, we've seen that the Dutch and the French financial regulators have been increasing their expectations on banks, demonstrating what they're doing to understand their approaches and mitigating nature-related risk. From a UK perspective, um, Sarah Breeden of the Bank of England noted at the GEFI conference last year that they may be reviewing how much nature-related financial risks are expected to be captured within the existing climate regulatory regime. And then if there are any nature-specific risks that would sit beyond that, and then what that would mean um, from a regulatory perspective. Now, when we think about nature risks, it's both from what an institution's impact is on nature, but then also what the nature's impact is on the institution, so otherwise known as double materiality. And then taking it a step further, within lending portfolios, there'll be a range of dependencies on nature across different sectors, with perhaps agriculture and the wider food systems being one of the most obvious, but there's also a clear dependency from a tourism industry on nature, for example. Okay, thank you very much, Rona. And uh, just on the back of uh, the recently concluded COP15, what would you say are the key takeaways from, from, from the event that is relevant for business? Yes, so firstly, I think it's helpful to remember that COP15 in Montreal was the second part of the meeting, which had already been significantly delayed by COVID. That time delay, whilst obviously unhelpful in reversing biological decline, it actually enabled um, others to take advantage of the significant increase in focus on nature and biodiversity globally and from business. And I'll give two examples of key takeaways from, from the conference. So firstly, kind of the key output to mention would be the 30 by 30, which is about protecting 30% of terrestrial inland water and coastal and marine areas by the end of the decade. This clarity in action means that it can be rolled down into nations and then it's a very tangible outcome which, against which progress can be measured. So to give you an idea of how big a change this would be, Currently, it's about 15% of, of the world's land and 7% of the world's ocean are currently under protection. And research has shown that the economic benefit of, of 30 by 30 would outweigh the costs five to one. So that's a really significant um, commitment that's come out of COP15. The second takeaway I would mention would be around target 15 within the Human Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework. 
And this framework contains global goals and targets which aim to protect and restore nature for current and future generations, ensuring its sustainable use as well as to spur investment for a green global economy. And Target 15 itself has huge potential from a business perspective to encourage and enable business to regularly disclose their risks, dependencies and impacts of biodiversity. And this information is aimed to kind of support uh, consumers and promote more sustainable consumption and therefore reduce the negative impacts on biodiversity and increase positive impacts going forwards. Thank you so much, Rona. Final question, uh, what we think um, would also be relevant for for the listeners is what what key things do you feel that a member or student of ours uh, needs to know about nature, and what advice would you would you give them about taking nature into the decision making of their day to day roles? Yeah, definitely. So there's loads of great resources available on this topic, and I guess to start with the WWF Living Planet report from last year and the IBEST Global Assessment Report on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services gives a really good overview of the science and the scale of the challenge. From an economics perspective, um, the Dasgupta review is kind of the, the absolute starting point. And, uh, and then lastly, for those who want a bit more of a, what this means for financial institutions, then I would recommend that work that was done between the Banking Environment Initiative investment leaders group and the University of Cambridge or CISL through the case studies, the one of which I mentioned earlier. And they also published the Integrating Climate and Nature report, which has lots of good guidance as to how to start going about doing this. Okay, thank you so much, Rona. It's been a pleasure having you. And um, I believe that these insights and resources that you've shared with us will be useful for our members and students that, you know, are trying to understand the concept of nature-related uh, financial risks and also even the opportunities that lie therein and resources that they can use to um, develop more knowledge and capacity. We look forward to um, hosting you some other time and thank you so much. Just so lovely to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank you.